The important thing to remember is that Mr. Cam has been sentenced to life in jail. The sentence for Rocky Rambo Waynem Cam and his chance of parole after a heinous double murder. Classroom concerns. Teachers need to be assured that all the health and safety precautions are put in place. Why they aren't the only ones nervous about a return to school. And the ominous last post of a pilot who died doing what she loved. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The man convicted of two counts of first degree murder for killing a Vancouver couple has been sentenced, but it's not exactly what the Crown wanted. Prosecutors had asked the judge to sentence Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam to life with 50 years before being eligible for parole because of the barbaric nature of the murders. Rumina Dea tells us why the judge rejected that argument and a warning some of the details are disturbing. Rumina. Sophie, first-degree murder carries an automatic life sentence. The difficult decision for the judge here was concurrent or consecutive sentences for the double murder, 25 or 50 years before parole eligibility. Did you want to comment at all? No, thank you. No. A painful and devastating journey for justice for the victims' families. Well, that's not the result we were hoping for. Crown argued the killer should not be allowed to apply for parole for 50 years. The judge's decision, 25. So it will be 2042 before he can apply for parole. And as Madam Justice Jarreau pointed out, there's no guarantee that he will get parole. But at least say you're sorry. For what? No motive. We still have no understanding why. Rocky Rambo Wayne Nam Cam, now 27, randomly attacked two innocent strangers. Diana Ma Jones fought for her life as Cam slit her throat. Her husband, Richard Jones, slashed more than a hundred times. Crown tried to convince the judge Cam poses a lethal threat to the public. Well, it's based on the circumstances of the offence, the nature of the crime, and the lack of an explanation for why uh, Mr. Cam committed these murders. During the trial, defence argued Cam was consumed by violent video games, and he thought he was in a game when he killed the couple. The theory rejected by Madam Justice Giroux. Cam is a university graduate, no prior criminal history or diagnosed mental health issues. While the nature of the crime is extremely troubling and an indication Mr. Cam may continue to represent a threat to society, said the judge, there were no pre-sentence reports or psychological or psychiatric reports that indicate Mr. Cam is incapable of rehabilitation and therefore will be dangerous in 25 years. Do you think we're ever going to learn the motive? I honestly don't know. Uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, I'm hoping that during the course of his time in custody through psychiatric counselling and assessments that, uh, that the experts will be able to develop an idea of his motive. But at this point, he chose not to share that with us. Crown says it needs time to review the judge's ruling before making a decision on whether it will file for an appeal. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Romina. The woman killed in a plane crash near Stave Lake yesterday has been identified. 
The Abbotsford Flying Club has identified the 66-year-old who died as Arisa Young Wilson. The Abbotsford Flying Club says she was a great pilot who cheerfully volunteered and participated in many of their events. They go on to say she's a great loss to the flying community. Arisa's last Facebook post was posted yesterday around 1 p.m. with the caption, Where do you think we should land next? It was just as she approached Stave Lake. The accident happened yesterday afternoon just before 6. Mission RCMP received a report that a Cessna 170 had gone down on an abandoned airstrip. Police and search and rescue responded to the area, which is not accessible by road. The cause of the crash is being investigated by the Transportation Safety Board with assistance from the Mission RCMP. A 21-year-old woman was also injured in the accident and taken to hospital. Fewer new COVID-19 cases confirmed today in B.C. That's right. We have 23 new cases, which means our total is now 3,523. There's one additional death for a total now of 194 people who have died from complications of the virus. Nine people are in hospital. That's the lowest number in months. Three of them are in ICU. No change there. And 3,076 are considered fully recovered, which leaves us with 253 active cases. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria. For a little more on this, Keith, the majority are in the Fraser Health region, and they're connected to the blueberry processor we heard about earlier. A number of them are thought to be connected there. There's 15 new cases in Fraser Health Region, a number of them associated with that blueberry packing farm in Abbotsford. But it's not the employees. Employees infected remain at 15. But what's going on right now, massive amount of contact tracing. Hundreds of people are being interviewed, family members of people who work there, associates and friends. Uh, they're being interviewed, and that's why those numbers are starting to tick upwards. One good, great number today, though, Chris, nine people in hospital. That's the lowest number since March 17th when seven people were in hospital. That's a very important uh, uh, benchmark achievement. Yeah, it sure was. And, and I know exciting for a lot of people watching this. Mm -hmm. Also seeing a change in the demographics here. The face of the pandemic is changing a little in B.C. Yeah, I've been tracking this for a few weeks now as we see other jurisdictions reporting that younger people are getting the virus in greater numbers. At the beginning, it was older people. Take a look at this graphic that tells you the story of the pandemic right now in terms of ages. It now turns out that the 20 to 40 year age group is the number one uh, cohort here in terms of who has the virus the most uh, in that replacing the 60 plus years, which was leading uh, all the age groups for a number of months. That has now been transformed as a younger person uh, catching the virus in greater numbers. And that's that's a warning to people out there who are partying throughout the summer. You are vulnerable to catching this virus unless you follow public health measures of not partying in, in large gatherings. It hasn't sunk in in other jurisdictions. No. Let, let's hope it does here. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, one day before the provincial government announces its back-to-school plans, B.C. teachers say they're still worried about getting the support they need. As Richard Zussman reports, they say the brief return to school in June highlighted several serious problems, and they're not convinced those problems are being addressed. It's that nervous back-to-school feeling, but for parents. We're very conscious of the fact that all British Columbians, no matter where they, they work um, or wh what community they live in, have fear and anxiety that comes with the uncertainty of, uh, of, of this virus. On Wednesday at 12.30 p.m., Education Minister Rob Fleming is expected to announce a full return to school in the fall for most students. An issue raised in question period on Tuesday. Families and teachers are looking for guidance and support. 
The other big concern is around personal protective equipment. One third of teachers say they are worried overall about a fall return. Teachers need to be assured that all the health and safety precautions are put in place in schools um, so that they'll be safe in September. Teachers were involved in creating the plan, along with health officials, parents and government officials. Teachers are understandably concerned, uh, somewhat apprehensive, and their questions are going to need to be answered. It's not just teachers who are concerned about personal protective equipment and the requirements for the fall. Parents want to know what sort of PPE will be available in September, especially parents of vulnerable kids. We definitely have some families who are medically complex and they are looking for, for example, they'd like to actually see PPE written into the nursing support plans. BC Ed Access conducted a survey for parents finding the June return left behind many kids, especially those without the tools to learn. It's more about families having you know, one device and six children or uh, poor access to the internet up north. Things like that haven't really been resolved. British Columbia was the only jurisdiction in North America to open all schools in June. This plan will now show how much has been learned from that experience. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The province is giving community sports teams a $1.5 million boost to get through the pandemic. The money is intended to help baseball and soccer teams, gymnastics and swim clubs and others with financial challenges brought on by COVID-19. BC has more than 4,000 local sports organizations and many of them are struggling to cover costs in the absence of registration fees, event revenues and sponsorships. There is still no date for a return to competitive play. Lynn Headwaters Regional Park is closed until further notice as conservation officers scour the trails for an aggressive bear. Our Grace Key is live with more on this. Grace, uh, conservation believes this is the same bear that prompted the closure of another park recently. Yeah, and that is exactly what certainly has them concerned. Now, you can see just behind me here, they've blocked off the entrance of the road leading into the park as they continue at this hour to search for that bear. Now, conservation officers tell us that yesterday a mountain biker encountered the bear and then the bear, uh, what what they call uh, bluff charged the person. So just kind of what it sounds like, just stopping fully uh, full sh short of actually charging the person. Now, conservation officers believe it may be the same bear that bit a 10-year-old girl in the lake on uh, in the lake on Friday along Rice Lake Loop Trail. She was rushed to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, and that area also remains closed until further notice. In this particular situation, where you know it approached um, a family and uh, completely lost its fear of people, um, it becomes a public safety risk. And uh, in this case, where it was. It actually bit a 10-year-old girl. The public safety risk is, is just too high at that point. The, the fate of that bear, it doesn't look good for it. So obviously we're talking about a very large area though, that they're searching. They've got 12 officers and four live bear traps working on finding that bear. All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks for that, Grace Key, reporting at Lynn Headwaters for us. The city of Victoria has been granted a court order to remove homeless campers from environmentally sensitive areas of a popular park. People living in Beacon Hill Park will have to move to less vulnerable areas of the downtown green space. The city says bylaw staff and community outreach workers will help around 100 people relocate. 
Yesterday, B.C.'s premier said Victoria should enforce the overnight camping bylaw to clear tents during the day. But the city's mayor says they're following Dr. Henry's advice that until indoor shelter space is found, displacing people from encampments does more harm than good. Well, two weeks after the Vancouver Park Board approved overnight sheltering in certain areas of city parks, those living in and around an East Vancouver tent city say the new bylaw won't solve homelessness. The homeless are allowed to camp overnight in city parks now as long as tents are not pitched near schools or playgrounds. People who call an encampment at East Vancouver's Strathcona Park home say these restrictions will make their lives even more difficult if they have to pack up and move during the day. The true focus for these camps should be on helping us do the things we need to get off the street, but instead the focus seems to be on surveillance and containment. We have sympathy for the people who are in this camp. We just don't think having a camp in a public park is a solution. This is really a battleground for us between homeless activists and government officials. We don't want to be the collateral damage of that battle. Park Board staff have said the revised bylaw isn't designed to dismantle large existing encampments like the one in Strathcona, but instead prevent new ones from popping up. A scary situation at a Burnaby high-rise last night. A piece of glass fell from a balcony railing on the 29th floor of the building near Willingdon and Lougheed, and it shattered all over the sidewalk and right across the street. Burnaby RCMP and fire crews were called to the scene around 9.30 to survey the damage. Crews blocked off the area over concern that more glass could potentially fall, and they were on scene last night and today cleaning up the debris. No injuries were reported, thankfully. Well, pop-up patios are helping local restaurants survive. It expands the space for people to enjoy a cold beverage, and customers love it. But even though this municipality has given them a green light, you'll see who wants to shut them down in just over a minute. The Wee scandal gets worse for the Trudeau government with stunning revelations from the two men who run the charity coming up on the news hour. And thawing permafrost gives up a giant from the distant past. The woolly creature they're pulling out of the mud later. But first, three West Vancouver restaurants are accusing the provincial government of risking their survival with red tape. All have permission from their local government and police to operate temporary pop-up locations by park. They say everything was going fine until the liquor distribution branch stepped in. Catherine Urquhart reports. It's a dream location along the West Vancouver waterfront. Three restaurants are set up temporarily at Ambleside's Millennium Park, an initiative by the district to help businesses and keep people safe. But just two weeks in, there's a problem. We were told we're going to get our liquor license, but we got denied a few times because they didn't, um, we didn't fit in any category. We're not a special event. We are a restaurant in a park. Beer and wine sales were okayed by the district and West Vancouver police. But BC's Liquor and Cannabis Regulation Branch has refused to give the restaurants liquor licenses as the special event exceeds 24 days. Uh, look, we're in a unique time and I know the, the, uh, the government has done a lot to try to accommodate new, new businesses but we just didn't really fit into an existing category um, and I think we just need 
some more flexibility to, to really make this happen. It's also hoped the pop-up restaurants will keep dozens of people employed. And without the revenue, uh, without, this op- without these opportunities, um, we won't be able to keep our employees employed. It's really simple. Beachside diners say they'd really like to see the restaurants survive. If you were having dinner, it would be really nice to have a glass of wine. I'd like that. Why not be able to sit here with your friend and have a glass of beer or something? I think it's a great idea. In response to questions from Global News, Attorney General David Eby's office said the ministry is aware of this issue and is working with the district of West Vancouver. If you don't get a liquor license in the coming weeks, what's it going to mean for you? For me, it means laying off people, uh, cutting cutting uh, hours for everyone, and cutting my small margin in half. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. In a move to be more transparent, ICBC now lets anyone access crash data online. That includes things like high-frequency collision locations. And topping the list in Metro Vancouver are the Knight Street Bridge and the intersection of Grandview Highway and Boundary Road. ICBC has also made it easy to search for other things like specific crash locations and severity of crashes, as well as vehicle populations. The public insurer says the release of the data is intended to keep the public more informed. Still ahead, Canada geese ruffling feathers in the capital region. We have mornings where they've taken out um, over an acre of corn before 6 a.m. The plan to address what's become a very messy problem. And she lost her only recording of her departed mother's voice when her talking teddy bear was stolen. An update that helps her get it back coming up. Traffic has fully recovered over here in both directions at the Patello Bridge after clearing a much earlier police incident. Just pockets of volume southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Well, they've been running afoul in Greater Victoria for decades. Canada geese destroying beaches, fields and crops. The Capital Regional District is so fed up with the damage and the droppings that it's planning to battle the national bird on its own. Brad McLeod explains. When they come in here, they just come in and they just keep touring all the soil back. Rob Gailey and his family farm on 15 properties across Saanich and have been crying foul for decades. Geese are biting into their profits and the bird population is exploding. It's unbearable. Um, We have years we lose tens of thousands of dollars. Come August to October, the geese start to fatten up for winter. They've taken out um, over an acre of corn, but they can do that within an hour. There's a mental health cost, too, waking up in the middle of the night to scare the flocks from feasting. They are so noisy, and I can see all the bedroom lights starting to flick on. I feel bad for my neighbors. At the same time, they cannot be in here overnight in my fields. Those in favor? But last week, the Capital Regional District unanimously voted to come up with a potential plan to control the geese population. Like potentially expanding an existing addling program, where goose eggs are shaken by staff, terminating embryo development. But geese can live to around 25 years old, so effects of addling won't be immediate. 
Maybe my great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren might start to see a bit of a difference. Goslings were introduced to the area in the 70s and 80s for hunting, and now they don't migrate. Their poop consistently closes lakes. One CRD board member in Souk received international attention with his poop Zamboni to reclaim covered fields. Anything's on the table, it needs to be. Mayor Haynes says he would support a call if the report calls for it. I hope the residents of Saanich and the region are with us on this. We know it's upsetting, but we have to take action. Asked if he is optimistic about a solution, the staff's suggestions are expected back by mid-August or early September. Brad McLeod, Global News, Saanich. Well, with warmer weather and limited travel options, search and rescue crews across the province are seeing an uptick in calls for rescues in the backcountry. Earlier this afternoon, volunteers with the Coquitlam Search and Rescue Team scaled up Crystal Falls to bring down a hiker who slipped and injured her hip. Within the last 24 hours, crews responded to several other calls, including an overnight search for a mountain biker who got stuck on Eagle Ridge and three other hikers in distress. Make sure you know about the area where you're going mm -hmm. and we're finding this a little bit of a challenge because what's happening is a lot of places are closing down. Mm -hmm. People will show up to a particular place, find they can't go in and say, oh, we'll go somewhere else where they haven't been before. And that's, you know, that's a recipe for problem. North Shore Rescue says they have seen a dramatic increase as well with at least 80 more calls for help up to date than the same time last year. As the hunt for a missing teddy bear continues in Vancouver, the woman it belongs to will be getting a replacement. Mara Soriano has been desperately searching for the bear, which allowed her to play a recording of her mom's voice. Mara's mom passed away from cancer last year. The bear was in her backpack when it was stolen while she was moving last week. Soriano tweeted this morning that Build-A-Bear contacted her to make a replica. Work is also being done to see if a recording of her mom can be recovered. Herschel, the backpack maker, has also stepped up with a replacement. The scenario has attracted international attention. Vancouver-born actor Ryan Reynolds even offered a $5,000 reward for the bear's safe return. Up ahead, the deepening wee scandal. We're happy to be here for four hours. Great. Answer the question then. The WE charity founders peppered with questions about how they landed a fat government contract. And it's an iconic way to cool off in the Okanagan heat, but this year, floating the channel comes with a warning. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge for the time being. Do keep in mind, though, overnight maintenance causes lane closures and delays from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $65 million, plus an estimated 10 max millions Lotto Max streamed to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A new study shows the wildfires that tore across parts of Australia last fall killed nearly 3 billion wild animals. That is triple the original estimate. Koalas and kangaroos, among the millions of animals killed or displaced by the fires in 2019 and 2020. The study, commissioned by the Worldwide Fund for Nature, found that 143 million mammals, 2.46 billion reptiles, 180 million birds, and 51 million 
million frogs were impacted by the country's worst wildfires in decades. Those fires destroyed more than 27 million acres in the Australian southeast. That is more than three times the area of Vancouver Island. It resulted in 34 human deaths and nearly 3,000 homes lost. The Kielberger brothers at the center of the We Charity scandal spent hours getting grilled under oath today. The two co-founders told MPs they agreed to roll out a multi-million dollar student grant program. The sole sourced contract was later pulled after it was revealed members of the prime minister's family were paid to appear at We events. Mr. Polyev, prior consent or Mr. Polyev, do I have to suspend this meeting because I will? Four hours of testimony, at times tense, as MPs pressed Craig and Mark Kielberger for answers about their involvement in the We Charity scandal. That's right, and and so I'm not. Uh, so the floor is not yours. The brothers maintain they were not in line to profit from this, while the government publicized the deal as worth 912 million dollars. There are no firm answers as to how much money was on the table for the charity to administer. First time we heard about the 912 million was when it was announced. Um, we had never been um, privy to that information before. We agreed to implement the Canada Student Service Grant, according to the charity's founders, at the request of government, despite personal relationships to the organization from both the Prime Minister and Minister of Finance. Opposition members on the committee prodded the charity's unusual governance structure a separate organization, according to the Kielbergers, to protect them from liability. We were very concerned about the request that we were asked to take on a liability for 40,000 young people. Don't you get that this looks kind of dodgy to the average Canadian? And the opposition were certainly frustrated. I mean, these guys are incredibly slick uh, about trying to get straight answers. Earlier Tuesday, the former chair of the board testified about the sudden financial instability at WE prior to being awarded the government contract. I did have a number of concerns, yes. We were being denied access to the chief financial officer. We had sought um, two meetings with them and they were both cancelled. More questions for the Liberal government about the contract and the Prime Minister's role in awarding it. Justin Trudeau set to testify under oath Thursday. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The federal government announced it will hold a full public inquiry into the Nova Scotia mass shooting. 22 people were killed in a rampage that started on April 18th in Porta Peak, and it ended nearly 100 kilometers away 13 hours later. The announcement about the inquiry came after mounting pressure from fellow MPs, the families of victims, and the public. They're upset about last week's decision to hold a less rigorous joint review and expressed concern that a review wouldn't have the power to subpoena documents or to compel testimony. The same people involved with the review will take part in the public inquiry. In Health Matters, Health Canada has authorized the use of the drug remdesivir to treat patients with severe COVID-19 symptoms. It works by interfering with the virus's ability to copy its genetic material. A U.S.-led study found remdesivir shortened recovery time by 31%. It'll be used in patients 12 and older who have pneumonia symptoms as a result of COVID-19 and who require supplemental oxygen to breathe. This is the first drug Health Canada has authorized for treatment of the virus. 
Researchers in Germany say COVID-19 may have a lasting impact on the heart health of recovered patients. Scientists looked at a sample of more than 100 patients who'd recently recovered from the virus. They found that 78% had evidence of heart damage on an MRI. 60% still had ongoing inflammation within the heart muscle. None of the patients studied had underlying health issues before contracting COVID-19. The World Health Organization now says the COVID-19 pandemic needs to be seen as one big wave and not a seasonal virus like influenza. Researchers say the world is in the first wave right now, which will continue to go up and down as we move through it. The WHO is warning against complacency during the summer, pointing to high case numbers in the U.S. that suggest the virus does not slow down in the heat and it does not follow influenza patterns. Officials are urging governments to keep restrictions on mass gatherings in place. And the mountain town of Banff is the latest Canadian municipality to make masks mandatory, both indoors and in some outdoor areas. Town council voted unanimously to approve the bylaw, which requires everyone to wear masks inside enclosed public spaces, such as cafes, shops and facilities. And pedestrians along the popular stretch of Banff Avenue, which is the main street through the town, will also be required to wear face coverings. The bylaw comes into effect this Friday, just in time for the long weekend. Coming up, signs of life in an endangered orca pod. Yeah, we're very excited about it. J35 made international headlines for grieving the death of her newborn. But tonight, evidence she's made a complete recovery. And coming up in sports, the one Canuck who's guaranteed to start when they hit the ice tomorrow for the first time in four months. Watching Global News Hour at 6. A mammoth discovery in Russia's Arctic. Why finds like these are happening with increasing regularity. That's coming up right after the forecast. But just before we get to that, a warning about a popular summer pastime. Penticton's fire chief wants everyone to enjoy their float down the river channel. But as Global's Travis Lowe reports, there are a few things you need to know before you go. It's a rite of passage for us uh, Penticktonites, uh, Okanagan Valley residents, and even visitors to our community. Larry Watkinson is talking about floating the Okanagan River Channel. How's it going? How's your float? Yeah, nice. But after numerous swift water rescues on the Okanagan River Channel last week, the Penticton Fire Chief is reminding people to think about safety. We did a rescue each day last week, and then on, on Tuesday there was two. And that's too, too many for Watkinson, who wants everyone to enjoy their time on the river. And with the channel's flow volumes extremely high for this time of the year, the chief has taken to social media recently with a list of safety precautions for the channel. Number one, wear a personal flotation device or PFD. It is very important because if you leave your, your floating device, you won't believe how fast you'll be swift away. Others include always monitoring your surroundings, being aware of your alcohol intake, using sunscreen, and if you miss the takeout, 
don't bail out in an attempt to swim back upstream. Stay on board to Skaha Lake and head for the beach. But it's the last one, Watkinson says, that gets most people into trouble. The pillars underneath the bridges, if you tie your tubes together and get wrapped around that one tube on each side, it becomes an entrapment situation. That's where we come out and have to do a rescue situation. Today at the takeout, safety depended on who you talk to. It's better safe than sorry. For some who were wearing PFDs, it was safety first. Yeah, absolutely. Our kids aren't the best swimmers, and even me as a swimmer, I think it's still important. For others, safety seemed to be more of an afterthought. We've been coming here for 20, 25 years. Never had a problem. But Watkinson says he wants everyone to give it some thought, maintaining that if people would just follow these basic safety precautions... This can be an incredible summer experience for families and friends. Travis Lowe... Global News, Penticton. I mean, it looks like fun. So nice. <laughs> so cool. Uh, it's been many, many years since uh, I did it, though. All right, let's check in and see what the weather's going to be like. Uh, probably floating down the channel will uh, will be pretty nice, I would bet, Yvonne. Yeah, it'll be a nice way to cool off. We're continuing to see the heat. It was a touch cooler across the south coast today. We had some marine air with cloud cover, uh, but the temperatures are going to ramp up once again, and we still have heat warnings for the interior, and I'll show you those in just a moment. Highs today, though, closer to the water at 23 degrees. Inland, the interior still into the mid and upper 30s. It'll continue to be hot. We are Keeping a close eye, though, there is a low that is offshore. It'll likely still stall over the next couple of days. And with it, the ridge is going to build in strong once again. The following areas in red, that's where we have a heat warning. So the mid and upper 30s for the following spots. The southeastern corners, though, for the Kootenai will continue to see the heat on Friday. And most areas for the southern interior will see the peak of the heat on Thursday. So the upper level chart for the south coast, Wednesday, tomorrow and Thursday will be the hottest once again. In the interior, it'll be on Friday and then a bit of a change on the way as that low starts to push its way in. We are going to see the week, the, the, the ridge weaken rather and temperatures are going to cool off with an increase in cloud cover. So the peak of the heat for Wednesday, Thursday across Metro Vancouver and the interior still seeing it in towards Thursday, Friday. Northern half of the province, a nice bright spot tomorrow cooler by the water into the low 20s. Central interior with plenty of sunshine, temperatures pushing up to 30 degrees, and it's the southern interior with highs into the mid and upper 30s. It's the Kootenays that will still see the heat all the way towards Friday, moderating by the weekend. And along the south coast, away from the water tomorrow, 29 degrees. With the Humidex, it'll feel like 31. Be prepared. Thursday, another hot one. More cloud cover on Friday. Could see an isolated shower. Rebounding for the beginning of the long weekend with some sunshine on our Saturday. Beautiful shot that was taken uh, for tonight's weather window. Hornby Island kayaking from Karina. Guys? That is beautiful. Sunset. Thank you, Yvonne. Well, Russian scientists have uncovered a stunningly well-preserved skeleton of an adult woolly mammoth. That's right. Locals discovered the bones near a Siberian lake. Some parts even still have soft tissue intact, which is remarkable since woolly mammoths went extinct some 10,000 years ago. There's been a dramatic rise in temperature in Siberia recently, and that is melting the permafrost, and that's helping reveal some of these ancient skeletons. What was the sound? The sound of a woolly mammoth? Was, no, I, was the sound that I was hearing? Was oh. it a drone or something? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Oh. I watched some of the raw, and what they were wrapping, raw video, what they were wrapping in that plastic looked like guts. I'm not going to lie. Oh. Yeah, weird. Woolly mammoth guts. Yeah. Okay, so on that note, 
Jay Janauer <laughs> is in for Squire tonight, and the Canucks uh, are about to get back at it. Yeah, so far, no more camping, no more scrimmages. Now comes the tough decisions for Travis Green when it comes to assembling his roster. Lots of options. We've got 15 NHL forwards. Uh, at the end of the day, there's going to be three guys sitting out that could quite easily play. We'll find out who's in, who's out when the Canucks face off against the Jets tomorrow night. I got plenty of puck coming up just ahead in sports. Also tonight, it's too soon to celebrate, but scientists are very encouraged by what they see in these new pictures of the J-Pod matriarch. Weird. It's a weird time of year to be thinking about hockey. I asked Sophie if she was in hockey mode. Almost. Well, you it's asked a, all of us, Jay, to be fair. Okay. It's hockey and, eve, isn't and? it? Well, I don't know. Ask me tomorrow. Okay, I will. <laughs> we will. Uh, one more sleep until the uh, Canucks nation rises to down hockey jerseys for the first time in four months. Canucks and Jets will face off an exhibition action tomorrow night to begin the ultimate Stanley Cup road trip. Only thing Travis Green was willing to disclose about his lineup today is that Jacob Markstrom will start tomorrow, and we may see Thatcher Demko as well. Yeah, still, they're comfortable. Uh, I think they're more excited than anything right now. Uh, and it is a road trip. It, you know, there's lots of times you go into a city for three, four, five days. We've stayed in New York for five days before. But it is different, and there's no sense trying to make it not be different. It is different, and... And we've talked about our guys about being adaptable right from day one. Uh, we're not going to try to trick them or fool them. It, this is different, and we want to embrace it. We want to have fun with it uh, and obviously play our best. It's, it's such a, a wonderful atmosphere because it, it really is uh, up for grabs. The Stanley Cup is, is right there, and I think everybody understands that. So that's why I believe the intensity level is, uh, is not going to be low. That sentiment is shared by all 24 NHL teams. And when you look at the Minnesota Wild-Vancouver Canucks playing series, the Wild are oozing veteran leadership from the likes of Eric Stahl, Zach Parise, Matt Zuccarello, and Ryan Suter. So how much of a difference can it make when it comes to taking a run at Lord Stanley's mug? Especially with the playing field being leveled by Hub City Living, where every team is the visiting team. Yeah, I think it's the start of a new season for sure. Um... You know, we were playing really well at the end of the end of the year. And, you know, Al was playing good. Kevin was playing good. There were a lot of guys that were really playing, you know, the best hockey that they've played in a long time and maybe ever for some of them. Um, so it's good that, that we know that what we're capable of and we're, we're, you know, we've put in the work the last couple of weeks, last few months. Guys have been preparing for the possibility of this. And, and now we're here and we're ready to uh, to go. Um, you know, we've talked about a guy like Eric Stahl being the guy that we will uh, lean on a lot that's, uh, you know, won a Stanley Cup, has been through uh, a lot. Um, so he can uh, he can help us all in, in that area. So, uh, But there's so many factors uh, going into, um, you know, playoffs and obviously our, our play-in series, uh, you know, your, your youthful energy and um, your excitement level, uh, you know, your, your calmness and, all that kind of stuff. There's so many different factors that uh, that factor into 
um, you know, before obviously you can have success, but certainly one of them will be uh, leaning on our veterans for sure. Okay, well, we're all debating whether or not we're in hockey mode here. This is the first ever NHL game played in July, and it went earlier in the day. Connor Sheary snapping the July top shelf special, but it was the Philadelphia Flyers beating the Penguins 3 2. Tell you, it's a hat trick of hockey games today. So if I'm in the mood, I gotta admit, I'm in the mood. Leafs and Habs, of course, remembering four-time Stanley Cup champion Eddie Shack prior to this one. Tyler, Leafs wasted no time getting into this game. 33 seconds in. Ilya Mikheyev. And Alex Kerfoot's got two. It's 3-1 Leafs heading to the uh, third. Mark Dos Santos and the Vancouver Whitecaps are back home here in Vancouver after bowing out in the MLS's back tournament on Sunday night. Lots of speculation right now how and if Major League Soccer will continue the regular season once the tournament is over and done with. For Mark Dos Santos, being back home is returning to the reality that all of us are facing, and that's what we're still very much in the middle of this pandemic. Let's go two weeks at a time because we live in a world that is uh, very inconsistent. We live in a world where some people don't get it, that you have to stay inside and you have to stay home and just wear a mask. I think the humanity has to wake up. This is something serious. And uh, we don't know what's next. We don't know what's next. What we know for the Whitecaps and for our group is when we go back home, we have to stay two weeks quarantined and stay between us and and go from there and respect what what the health authorities are going to are gonna are gonna have to say and i i hope i hope all the cities in our league just just man do your job stay home do your job do your job it's the only way this is gonna it's gonna stop so that's what's next for us and on that note, we're not going to be seeing the Miami Marlins on the diamond for the rest of the week. Major League Baseball today postponing all the Marlins games through Sunday. This after those 17 members of their traveling party tested positive for COVID-19. In addition, the remainder of the Phillies-Yankees' home and home series has been postponed. should also mention no members of the Phillies tested positive after playing the Marlins on the weekend. Third and final scrimmage for Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors. Phoenix Suns with the worst record of the 22 teams in the bubble. Norman Powell with the finish here. Flushes strong, had 14 off the bench for Toronto. The Raptors look tired today. They were playing their third game in five days. Chris Boucher with the dunk. Raptors fall 117-106. They'll meet the Lakers on Saturday to tip off their eight-game seeding round series. Toronto Blue Jays, by the way, were 5-1 winners today against the Washington Nationals. That's your sports. All right. Thanks, Jay. All right, here's Andrew now, the preview of Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Chris. A drum circle at Stanley Park's Third Beach drew plenty of criticism last week. We're keeping an eye on what's happening there tonight. Plus, an incident on Whistler's Alta Lake this afternoon has sent a man to hospital in critical condition. And there's been another potential COVID exposure at a BC strip club, this one in Kelowna. Anyone who visited Liquid Zoo from July 15th to 18th has been asked to self-monitor for symptoms. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. 11 o'clock. Chris, Sophie. All right, and thank you. Tonight's, oh, no healthcare here tonight, but we will tell you about baby news from Puget Sound that is particularly special. Well, you may remember Orca J35, better known as Telequa. She became famous two years ago when she carried her dead calf for 17 days. Fast forward to today and a much happier story as new photos of J35 show something that's very intriguing to Orca researchers. Jen Palma reports. 
It's a picture that's led to a lot of excitement, an indication an endangered family is getting ready to grow. We're very excited about it. J35, also known as Telequa, is the mother orca who made international headlines in 2018 when she carried her dead calf around the ocean for 17 days, traveling more than 1,600 kilometers. There's been interest in them for 30 and 40 years. Dr. Lance Barrett-Leonard, director of the Marine Mammal Research Program with OceanWise, says it's not unusual for orcas to do this for a short period of time, but J35's apparent tour of grief shows her emotional attachment to her calf. J35 is now 22 years old. She also has another calf. The one she's carrying now is expected to arrive next year. They have suffered uh, unusually high mortality in the last few years, and so they've got to make it up with reproduction. So, you know, every calf that's born, and there's only been a trickle of them over the last few years, we watch with great interest. Researchers are keeping a keen eye on southern resident killer whales because their population is in a critical state. There's only 73 of them remaining, and their gestation periods are long, lasting up to 17 months. So every pregnancy is important. Scientists say there are three things threatening them. Contaminants, underwater vessel noise, and lack of food, in particular Chinook salmon. They struggle to get enough uh, food, and... Uh, we know from the collaborative work done between the Canadian researchers, myself, and my colleagues in the U.S., um, that the southern residents are consistently thin. But there's another glimmer of hope. Researchers have found another orca, L-72, who is also expecting both pregnancies being watched carefully, not just by researchers, but by their own pods. Calves and mothers spend their lives together. It's a testimony, really, to how resilient they are, that they're, that they're still around now. Jennifer Palma, Global News, Vancouver. Excellent news. Fingers crossed. 17 months, though. Long time to be pregnant, as you pointed out. Yes, especially <laughs> in the middle of a hot summer. No <laughs> doubt. Speaking of which, Yvonne, uh, going to stay pretty warm for the next few days. Yeah, it'll warm up once again. Temperatures will bump up into the low 30s for most areas along the coast, even hotter inland. The interior will still see the heat in towards Friday. Metro Vancouver will have a bit of a transition day as we get into late Thursday, Friday. The beginning of the long weekend looking fantastic. We may see a few isolated showers for the latter half, so a heads up for both Sunday, Monday. Looks like golfing weather, doesn't it, Jay? <laughs> Club championship, Chris, coming up on the weekend. Oh, good luck, oh, my, my man. Good luck. <laughs> and, and hockey we'll weather, too. We'll send a camera. Yeah. Plays <laughs> oh, no, no. of the week, for sure. All right, that's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for joining us. See ya.